Welcome to a special Christmas episode of Contravariance, where we talk with no one other than Donnie Walls, who's been working on writing an advent of Swift in this December. And we talk about his work at Disney, as well as his blogging and other things. Good evening, Benedict. Good evening, Baz. This is different. Yeah, it's, uh, as you mentioned, evening. Um, we are not meeting at work, but we are both at home. You in the Netherlands, I'm in Hamburg, and uh, that's quite a difference because you're not sitting next to me. Oh, I'm not. But, you know, in you know, I'm not there physically, but I'm still there. We're, st we're still together. That's true. And we are not alone this time again that's correct so we actually have another another guest on the podcast uh, and it's none other than donny walls hello there hello donny good evening you guys how are you doing donny i'm all right i am um obviously a little bit tired because i am doing the advent of swift that i'm sure we'll talk about later in the podcast um but otherwise i'm really good thank you how are you I'm I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I ha I've had my last few working days of the year, and like I'm enjoying my time here in the Netherlands uh, with family and all of that. So nothing to complain about. Sounds great. Same here. I'm doing also great. I would say I've been on vacation for quite some time now. Um, so I had the last month of the year off because I had accumulated a bit of vacation. <laughs> Um, and I still have a private project that I'm working on and I'm mostly doing that and then chilling and going to the gym and reading and uh, traveling a bit and uh, sitting in cafes and stuff like that. So relaxation time, filling up energy stores and so on. And it feels really good. Sounds like a fantastic way to spend your time. Yeah. And you mentioned that you're busy with the advent of Swift. Is that something you can tell more about? Of course. Um, so Advent of Swift is uh, um, probably the worst idea I had this year. Um, but halfway <laughs> through November, I decided that I wanted to do something special with my blog. I noticed that uh, it was doing all right. I had been blogging consistently for about three months. And I was like, let's take it up a notch. So I decided that in December, um, I would publish an article every day until Christmas Eve. Like, you know how as a kid, or maybe even now, you had these advent calendars where from December 1st until December 24th you would take one piece of chocolate from it or something else something sweet um, I guess my articles are the chocolate this year <laughs> but it's 24 nice. articles so it's a lot of work but it's fun and these are also very detailed articles um, where you have screenshots and of a lot of explanation and that requires a lot of time, right? Do you actually write one every day or did you um, pre-write the articles beginning in November? Uh, it's a little bit of both. So what was very important to me was that uh, December is to me a month of uh, giving essentially, like spending some time with your family and, you know, just doing nice things for each other. So when I announced Advent of Swift, I asked the community what they are struggling with. So I wanted to know what people find hard or, you know, what what are you kind of afraid to ask other people or what do you want to know that you don't know how to Google, that kind of stuff. So I waited as long as possible um, 
with writing the articles. So I think I started the first batch like in the last week of November where I started basically doing one a day, except I'm a couple of days ahead of the schedule. So being ahead of schedule is not bad. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I would put something out every day and that like, you know, not something that's outside of my control would mess it up because I wouldn't be able to write the article the day before or whatever. So so you still have a couple of articles stashed in case that anything happens and you can't write an article, you have something that you could just uh, leverage? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. I find that really awesome. impressive because because it, it requires a lot of time and um, I guess you, you're probably still working, right? You're not on vacation. Um, so you have to do it somewhere in the evening um, while you also have to spend time uh, with other people and so on. And there are probably things you have to do. Um, how do you manage to find the time to, to, to fit that in? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure how I do it either, but so far it's been working very well. Um, I try to just write in the evenings think about like what I'm going to write like during the day or you know in the morning or in the car when I'm driving home so I, I try to sort of in my mind think like okay so this is the topic that I want to write about tonight like what what would I explain how would I do that um, and th that really helps to have a clear picture of what you're going to write and I think it also helps that I wrote three books on iOS development in the past couple of years so I kind of have to drill of you know quickly setting up a structure and writing things down. Um, and I also try to avoid the topics that I don't know anything about yet. Like sometimes I would write a blog post because I'm learning something. I'm not doing those for this uh, um, series of posts because that typically takes a lot more time because I have to make sure that I really understand what I'm writing about. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you mentioned that you're like consistently blogging and I think you have an, have an awesome blog. Uh, And it seems like I'm not the only one who thinks that because I think you've been nominated for some award. Yes, yes. Um, surprisingly, I found out that I am nominated for the Hacking with Swift Community Awards uh, as a rising star, which is amazing because I started doing this um, consistently in September of this year. So just two months in, apparently enough people are liking it that they decided that I should be nominated for this award. So that's really humbling and really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. It's really cool. Thanks. And now that we're on, on the topic of the community awards, uh, this podcast was actually also nominated. Yes. Uh, as well as a certain as as well as a certain newsletter that I write. So <laughs> that's really cool. Are the votes still open or did they close a couple of days ago? I think at the time of this recording it's still open. Mm. Um, yes. but I'm not not completely sure. They, they are open until December 10th. So they are currently open, but by the okay. time this is published, it will not be open okay. anymore. So yeah, let's see what that will bring us. But mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool. And I think it's a great uh, initiative by Paul. He's been running that for a few years now. Um, and it's always super fun to like see what new faces uh, show up there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really love that it, um, it's, and it's not even because I'm nominated. I never expected to be nominated, but I love that it puts attention on people that are doing things in the community, like doing talks or organizing conferences or sending out newsletters. Like that takes a lot of work, and it's really cool to see that Paul, you know, with all the publicity that he has, like all the audience that he has, that he wants to make sure that the community uh, gets to benefit from that too. So that's really cool. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and on, on the same topic of like you writing 
you know, blog posts and helping the community and giving back to the community. Um, like, what's your experience in terms of how the community reacts to your blog posts and how the community interacts with what you do? Uh, yeah, that, that's that's an interesting question. It's really what, what you see is that, you know, people just respond, like, thanking you for certain articles or even sometimes people just very uh, kindly pointing out mistakes or additions that you might want to add to your posts. Like, for example, I had uh, an article where I mentioned user defaults and one reader uh, sent me a message like, hey, you you did mention that it's for like, small stuff or simple stuff, but maybe it's also worth mentioning that there are sometimes limitations and on tvOS, like, you cannot go more than one megabyte. Um and that's like nice additions where you can really think like, is this something that I need in my post or uh, is this something that I didn't do on purpose or whatever? Usually people just see things that they expect to be there um, that are not there. So that's, that's very cool. Or if something is unclear, people will tell you. And so far I've had like only positive reactions and, and good feedback and constructive feedback. So I, have, I haven't had anybody tell me that um, anything was stupid or whatever, which I'm very happy about. <laughs> I mean... They aren't stupid, so I can imagine. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, and I've ha- I've written a blog post a while back where I also like asked, like specifically asked for feedback from the community, um, and it's like it's a lot of work if you really like ask for feedback, but it's really really nice uh, to get some more input from more people because they will point out the things that you're missing, or they're all they'll all have this different view on the topic and and help out in different ways, and that really helps, like give you yourself a good feeling as well as just making a better blog post definitely and and sometimes i notice that like something is so clear in your head right like you know what you are writing about you know what you want to say and you have this whole narrative in your mind and sometimes you can start using the word this or you know um kind of forget to explain something like in one sentence like remember that thing i said at the beginning of this post about this and this where you know i made the point that this was the case or whatever um, if you don't give people that throwback, sometimes they sort of lose like the flow. They don't understand what you're trying to say. And it's so helpful if somebody just says like, hey, this this paragraph, I had to go back like three times to see what, what you were getting at. Like I understood what, in the end I understood it, but maybe you can add like one sentence or two words of introduction to make that clear. Mm-hmm. And that's the small things that, that make me very happy when people say that because if if you're working on it and you're so zoomed in that you forget that the bigger picture sometimes gets lost if you don't add certain clarifications. Yeah. And how and how does that work? Uh, I mean, you said you've been writing a few books. Like, how does that process work when writing a book? So when, when you're writing a book, you're much more in a silo. Um, you basically, you know, uh, I, I would start my books in February or March. So I would kind of have to anticipate what people are expecting for WWDC in June. Because obviously you're not going to write a book uh, before June if you start in February. And you kind of start sketching out like the topics and you have a technical reviewer who is going to read it. That's only one person. Um, and then in the end, like DubDub comes along, you make all these modifications and it's really a rush to get it finished by the time uh, the Golden Master ships for iOS. Because ideally you would you know, hit the publish button with your publisher on the day that the official iOS release is out in the world, which um, usually doesn't happen because you need at least like a month more to to go through all the copywriting and all the editing and all that stuff. 
But then in the end, only a couple of people saw it and maybe only two or three people who actually know what it's all about, which is the whole reason that I didn't want to write a book this year because I wanted that feedback loop from from blogging and from the community. Mm -hmm. And besides like blogging and writing books, you've also been giving a few like conference talks and and workshops even i'm not sure uh how's that working out for you and do you want to do that more or like how does that work together with all the other stuff that you're doing yes so it's tons of fun like in, in the past few years I, I did do one workshop i think it was the same year uh, that you did a workshop at swift island actually that was this year <laughs> it was this year oh then i did it the year with benedict then or is did benedict never do one? no i was I, also this year at swift islands with oh, the two my. of you <laughs> I, I am messing up my timelines. But oh, uh, I, I, I can't blame you because like anytime like anybody asks me, it's like, hey, when you were at this conference and it was like, Yeah, when was that again? Yeah, and it's, it's like, like yeah, probably. even if it's like even if it's like two weeks ago, like I just forget. Oh man, I while I was preparing for this podcast, like because I I knew you were gonna say something about speaking, of course. Um I tried to make a list of places that I, I've been this year and I, I couldn't I, I'm sure I forgot a bunch. It's, so that's um, why I have a web page that has all my talks and workshops listed. <laughs> I do too. I now that you say it, I have that. Oh I forgot. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's uh it's crazy. It's it's exhausting. Um I mean you you get to a place and you know, you go to the conference, you do your talk, you meet all these people and you have tons of fun. Um and then you go home and you're you're tired, but then the next day you just want to do it again because it's so much fun being around all these people and meeting people in the community and just sharing what you know and you know soaking up all the knowledge from all the the great speakers that you meet. So it's it's really a great experience, and I'm definitely going to try and do more uh, of that next year. Is it um, is it okay for your employer that you are giving so many talks and and workshops? Because obviously, if you do that, um, you're not at work, right? Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if, if we had mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast, but I work for Disney. On um, well, some of the code that I write goes to Disney Plus, and they actually are very happy to have sort of a presence in the community. Um, so it's it's not a problem for me to to go speak at conferences because it's just they really like um, you know having people that interact with the community and having sort of a presence there. So for me, it's really nice that I get to go there and I am able to to deliver that presence um, because it's not just the company that wins. It's also, of course, a sort of a personal gain because I get all these experiences in the meantime. So it's a win-win situation, I guess. So you mentioned Disney Plus, and this is certainly an exciting topic because it's a new yes. app. It's um, been released uh, recently. People have been talking a lot, a lot about it, and uh, it's heralded as something akin to Netflix. And uh, in terms of uh, how much uh, user share it will gain in the future, and so on, I find it really interesting. Now it hasn't launched in Germany yet, so I haven't really tried it. Um, tell us a bit about it. What was it like to work on a on a really cool and uh, big project like that? It's it's. Um... It's crazy, really. Um, so, so, unfortunately, but maybe also fortunately, I work on uh, an SDK that really powers a lot of the features in Disney+, Plus, but it also powers features in other apps. Um, but, of course, I was very close to the whole development process of Disney+, Plus itself. And it's it's so weird to go home and not be able to show anything that you've been working on. Um, because everything was secret. 
Yes, it, it almost felt like we were working at Apple. Um, the biggest difference was that our designers uh, did not have to go to a, a room without windows or whatever to work on this. They were allowed to be in our open office. Um, but it's really most information that you get, of course, is on a need-to-know basis. Like, I guess any huge company that is shipping an app like this does. So it, it's been a wild experience for me and tons of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I can imagine that any bigger company wants to, you know, mostly work on a need-to-know basis because, I mean, it's a good thing regardless of whatever project you're working on. Um, but you mentioned it was almost Apple-like. Like, how, like, what are the positives and what are, like, the, the negative parts of that? Like, I can imagine that that's something to get used to, but at the same time, we won't get this experience of, like, or or at least, you know, this is this is a big one where you get this experience of like, hey, I can at one point, you know, have this big bang, this big release that we can then share. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it's really like one of the positive things that I find is that you don't worry about the roadmap so much. Um, I've worked in companies where I knew what they were going to do like one or two years down the line. And that really can be a stressing factor when you see a decision being made about the project that makes you know the next step a bit harder or you know that you know you're going to have to refactor something because we need to get this thing done now but with the future plans it might not work or whatever uh th- that sometimes really stresses me out and working like this really makes your uh your scope very limited like you know about the parts that you are working on and uh, also the fact that things take more time down the line is is not as big of a deal because you know, you can move uh, in very different ways than you would at a startup, for example. Uh, at the same time, the, the negative maybe is the exact same thing. Like you are doing things that you're not entirely sure if they're going to be good forever. Or sometimes it's also just a lot of fun to see what other people are working on or to just walk into anybody's office and, you know, ask them for this cool new thing that you may or may not ship. But they're just researching something. Uh, you, you kind of lose out on that in such a big company. But then once all the pieces come together and you see these this big, beautiful release where, you know, you have so many people signing up and trying to use the service. And, you know, you see you watch Twitter blow up with all these people uh, reliving their childhood memories. That is that is something that I think you can only really appreciate if you've worked on it, I guess, in some way, because I know that we had like at the office, we were just looking at all these experiences just coming in from people, you know, just keeping an eye on Twitter and all just, you know, celebrating this amazing launch that we had. That sounds um, awesome. Talking, talking about Twitter is something I saw that I obviously haven't um, seen myself because it hasn't launched in Germany yet, is um, that you have apparently a really cool way of, of authenticating users on Apple TVs, where basically it seems to me you only have to pick out your, your phone on the same Wi-Fi and then you're authenticated. So this seems to, like people talked about how this may be implemented. Is this something you can, you can talk about, tell us about that? Uh, I can describe the feature, but unfortunately I'm not allowed to say how exactly we do it. Um, I, I saw a tweet about that too. So the feature itself is that if you want to sign in on a TV product, which could be just a Samsung TV or you know any of the TV platforms that we support where keyboard input is, is complicated, um, the Apple TV is a great example as well, 
uh, you can indeed pick out your phone and um, the TV app will ask your phone to authenticate. Now, that could be an Android phone, an iPhone, or any other phone device that we may exist on, um, or an iPad, or whatever. And uh, then when you approve this request, then your TV is suddenly logged in as well. It's it's really works really well, and people have been praising it a lot um, in the media, so it's very cool. And I saw on Twitter that uh, some people were um, mentioning that we might have private API access or it's bonjour or whatever. Um, all I'm really allowed to say is that it's not private APIs. It is definitely something custom. It's not something built in from Apple. Um, and it's really cool. That's really it's all very, I can say about that. It's very magical. It is. It's Disney magic. <laughs> Disney magic. So That's yes. great. That's why you are, you are a Imagineer and not just an engineer. <laughs> kind of yes we we do have uh, a real subdivision called the imagineering department um but they work on um the parks and the attractions and all the rides there so yeah that's fortunately i'm not really an imagineer uh, but that's why i know about the name i used to contract for disney and that was yeah. for the shop experience and that's why i ran into all these imagineers as a called them yes. themselves yes so yeah, you that's, mentioned uh, you mentioned that you've been working or that you're working on an SDK. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking in a podcast where we sometimes also mention Swift. Um, so I'm wondering, like, how how's that been for you? And, like, have you been using Objective-C? Have you been using Swift? Uh, and how does all of that work together? And one of the things as well that, you, that you've been talking about is test-driven development. And I can imagine that that's really something that makes sense when you're building an SDK. So... Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, first of all, everything we do is in Swift. Uh, we believe that you cannot be on the cutting edge uh, if you don't use cutting edge tools, I guess. So, Swift is definitely a no-brainer for us because it just comes with so many awesome features that allow us to do cool things. Um, it does mean that occasionally we have had to you know, scramble to update Swift or you know, just have all the different Xcode versions, even recently with the whole Xcode 11 kind of crazy release cycle that they had, it meant that every other week we would have to really evaluate, like, are we going to go to Xcode 11.2 or not? Because it does have like a new Swift version. It, it is kind of compatible with the old one, but you know, you need to make those decisions, which takes a little bit of time. Um, but in the end, I think it's definitely worth it because we're able to move crazy fast and write really cool code using Swift. And on the SDK, we do everything test-driven because, well, as, as you might guess, with an SDK, there is no UI, so there's no app to run. There is no way for us to validate whether what we write works without writing a test for it. So TDD is the only way to uh, sort of do that. I mean, you can... I, I've, I've at least given a talk where I, I mean, I truly believe in tests and I think they're awesome. Um but I feel like you don't necessarily have to write them before you write the code. That's at least something that I find very difficult to do. Yeah, um, so, so I, I say TDD, but what I really mean is test-focused development, I guess. And what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a term I literally just made up. Um, but what we do often is, is, you know, we write maybe a couple of tests or we write some code and then immediately afterwards we write tests. So test is definitely something that we write uh during the process and soon and often it's not what we use to really 
lead everything on. Um, it, it can be a very cool tool to design uh, public APIs, for example. I do that a lot, where I'll just be writing tests as if I am an app developer using the SDK, and I will often keep those tests, because if they pass, why not keep them uh, to make sure that I don't break public APIs in the future? Uh, but it's definitely not that we only write code if we already have a test, if that makes sense. Right. And do you use, like, if you do test, real test driven development, do you use Xcode or do you use any other tools that help you do that? Uh, so, no, so we only use Xcode for that. Um, I have tried working with AppCode, but it's reliable, unreliable in different ways than Xcode. So it's really, for me, it was not the lesser of two evils. I preferred Xcode in the end, but it, it works well enough, especially if you don't really have many assets in your project. Swift compiles quick enough for us to uh, do testing the way we do it. Right. Do you do you have a policy on your pull requests? Um, how much, um, how many tests there should be for new code written, for example, and how much test coverage? No, we don't because um, the, the problem with some of the things that we have in our SDK is that it requires a real device uh, to run tests on, for example, uh, which we don't have currently in all of our CI machines. I believe we have a couple that could run on actual devices, uh, but it would be really hard to write tests for that, for example. And we also believe that code coverage is not the best metric to determine whether uh, we did a good job or not. So we try to just make sure that everything that needs to be tested is tested, and it's just a person that you know looks at the change in a PR and decides whether it needs tests or not. And usually we're pretty good at writing tests when we have to. So it's not often that somebody says like, hey, you're missing tests here. So that's really good. Is this something like this This test-driven um, way of working, is this something you've done all the time or is it something you learned over the years as you became a more experienced developer? It's definitely something an acquired taste, I would say. Um, when I first started, I did not understand why anybody would want to write code to test our code. It just felt very strange to me, um, especially as I was writing UI a lot. I, I really didn't understand the purpose of unit testing at all. Uh, but then slowly I started feeling sort of a need to not have to run an entire app or to drill down into a view hierarchy just to test whether a certain response from a server would result in a certain output. Uh, so at that point, I started slowly to sort of write some simple tests. And then I, th I think it, it's it's been like three or four years now that I really saw the value of testing and started doing it more and more and more to the point where now I have to because I don't have an, a UI to, to touch or to play with. So with this SDK that you're working on, um, you're writing that in Swift. Um, what are the, the features of Swift that you find really nice when writing a, an SDK and which, which are the ones that are trickier to use in an SDK? And do you have any like need to expose parts of the API to Objective-C as well? Uh, so, so we don't expose anything to Objective-C. That is the, the simple part of the question. Um, all of our apps are in Swift. So that's really cool. We don't have any Objective-C interrupt problems, so we can use Swift to the fullest. And then some of my favorite features are also the the complicated ones, I guess. It's protocols and generics um, because they allow you to 
the protocols help with with the test driven part and then help increase testability but it also helps to sort of hide from the public interface what objects we are using on the inside like all that an application developer needs to know is that they are working with an object that can or cannot do certain things right uh, so we we're able to hide that behind protocols it also means that you increase complexity of your code base a little bit because you know you need to have the protocol definition you have things that conform to the protocol it's often more than one thing that could conform to the protocol um you know and all the dependencies for certain objects like one object would need multiple services and every service has its own protocol etc etc and then also on top of that the generics where you just want to have like an api client where you say like make this api request and either expect this kind of object or even in some cases, we let app developers decide. So then we are just sort of like a pass-through SDK where all we do is make a request and try to decode it into whatever an app developer could need at any time because they tell us what they want. Um, that's really cool that you can do that with Swift, but it's also the, the more complicated, uh, sometimes frustrating to work with part. And how does that work? Um, you know, you have your, your customers basically being I suppose internal developers, right? Pretty much, um, yeah. Like, who decides the roadmap of the SDK, and how? Like, how would you describe like working together with colleagues, basically, to figure out what to work on? Yes. Yeah, so, so most of the roadmaps and, and that kind of stuff is decided amongst like the product team and our product owners and our project managers and that kind of stuff. Like, they will they will give us like the the main plans and sort of the deadlines for every quarter and that kind of stuff. And then at the same time. We have um, multiple offices, so sometimes you need to, you know, go on Slack and talk to people. Like I'm building a feature, and I believe that you are going to use this feature in the app. So let's kind of team up. Uh, what we often try to do is, if I know that somebody in Amsterdam is working on a certain feature, uh, and I see that feature coming up for the SDK, uh, I try to take it uh, in in the sprint planning. I'm like, I know who is working on this, and he's sitting right next to me. So let me take that one because it's easier to work together like that. Nice. Benedict, any more things that you want to ask or any things from you, Donny, that you think we haven't asked yet or discussed yet? So I wanted to ask you a question, actually. Um, oh, sure. So at Zing, you, you, I believe you also use Swift, right? Yeah, Swift and Objective-C. All right. So how is that? Like, how is the Swift part working for you? And uh, how is the working with Objective-C at the same time? And I believe you're also doing something with Swift UI even. Um, so, okay, tell me a little bit about that. I'm really curious. So the, I think the, I, for me, the biggest issue with Swift is the compile time. Um, we have a big project. There's a lot of code. There are a lot of developers working on that. And um, it, once you have a hybrid approach where you use Objective-C and Swift, it actually slows down the compile time even more because um, the dynamic uh, nature of Objective-C requires um, the compiler to kind of expose more and recompile more as stuff changes. And so everything takes even longer. And this is, I think, where we, where I would say we have some necessarily issues, but this is something that that's bugging, of course, if it takes a long time to compile. Um, other than that, I would say we are very happy with Swift because um, it, of all the um, uh, compiler features that and the safety that it brings to the table. What, what would you say, Bas? 
I, I strangely really like that we're using Objective-C and Swift. Um, so I think at the moment, like in pure lines of code, it's about 50-50. Um, but that being said, uh, we still rely on Mo Generator for most of our core data code, uh, which means like the actual written code is like, you know, closer to, I don't know, at least it's more than 50% than Swift. Um, but there's two things. We both work in the platform team. So Benedict and I both work in the platform team where a lot of the like foundational APIs have been built a long time ago, not in Swift. Um, and although we have a lot of Swift, uh, even within the platform team, especially we have to really take uh, interoperability into account. And even if we do write Swift, we basically have to figure out, okay, what does this public API look like in Swift? And what does this public API look like in Objective-C? Which I find really fascinating and you know, have a lot of fun doing so, but it's, it's not that easy. Yeah, does, does the interrupt part like ever slow you down or prevent you from using a certain Swift feature where you know that like a certain feature could really help you create like better code but you cannot do it because it would break objective c compatibility well for one i, I think one of the the biggest things is as Buzz said we we do have still quite some objective c code and a lot of that is the in the foundational libraries and the foundational libraries obviously for example could have a abstraction over ui view controller so imagine a ui view controller subclass with a, a couple of additional methods and all the other code in the code base relies on that. Now, you can't rewrite that in Swift because a Objective-C subclass cannot be a subclass of a Swift superclass. So we have to keep our code in Objective-C as long as we have Objective-C consumers down the line. So until all the, the, the uh, frameworks from the other teams have switched to Swift, we have to keep it on Objective-C. This is for example, something where the uh, bridging is difficult, we can't even use Swift as long as there's somebody in Objective-C um, still using it. Even if you do the add Objective-C, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. some Swift features just don't exist in, in Objective-C. Like you said, not everything can subclass everything. Um, so yeah, I can imagine that that sometimes holds you back. I'm really happy that we don't have that so we can really use Swift to the fullest in all of our public code and all of our core libraries and all that kind of stuff. So that's really nice. Like Buzz says, I think it's very fascinating uh, to build something that would work everywhere, I guess. Yeah, because I'm actually really excited about like taking on some bigger uh, things in, in you know the upcoming uh, few months and, and years. Because I've worked on like a few small like APIs, like additional APIs, and basically like just built them in Swift completely. Uh, with all the Swift features. And then I took a look, okay, this needs to be uh, exposed to Objective-C. How can I support both, right? So I don't really want to change anything or make, don't make use of any Swift features. Um, but that does mean that I have to figure out, okay, what does this API look like in Objective-C? And is that like acceptable? Because if it's completely different, that's also going to be confusing. Yeah. And I think the, the thing I missed the most is enums um, because they allow you to, to encapsulate a certain pattern um, into a static way so that 
at compile time, you can rest assured um, that the different states of um, whatever you're trying to, to implement um, are handled properly in code uh, because like enum with associated payloads usually. Um, and those we don't have in Objective-C. And this is something that I would like to use oftentimes, but can't because object obviously Objective-C doesn't have any notion of that. Yes, because yeah. in Objective-C, enums are always integer-based, right? Yeah. Bounds with, we can make them strings or yeah. really anything we would want. Yeah, and I'm mostly talking about the enum that has associated values uh, yeah. in it because th these are really interesting um, for many use cases. I think yeah, like, you, like the result type in Swift, for instance, would never exist in Objective-C. Yeah. Oh, that's a big one. And I think once you only write Swift, um, I think you really easily forget and take for granted the things that we you know, use every day in Swift, but don't have an Objective-C. I think enums are a great example. Um, default expressions are another one. Uh, we have the, the, the structs for all the value types. Um, indeed, something like a result type or optionals. Like that's, that's just the things that we use basically every line of code. And like, yeah. once you go back to Objective-C, you can't use any of that, which is, you know, that's really <laughs> tricky. Or even just the syntax of completion closures. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't know the magical website with the curse word in it? Yes. I love, I love blocks. <laughs> oh, they're great. They're just, uh, you need to look up the, the syntax. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To be fair, the same, the same applies to closures. Like closures are also pretty complex uh, uh, when no, you go into like variables. Sure, no, but you comparable. have autocomplete. You have sure, autocomplete. The, the, Yes, but there are different complexities, but it's definitely writing a block in Objective-C. I never know when to use what characters and what formatting and that kind of stuff. Especially, well, needs especially because it's different based on whether you want to store it as a property or yes. as an instance variable or as a function parameter. All these yes. things have completely different syntax. Well, not completely, but they have different syntaxes. And I mess it up all the time. And then you add the um, <laughs> the nullable parameters that were introduced at some point after that always end up at different parts of the <laughs> expression. It's widely confusing. Yes. Well, yes. at least now we have Swift UI with all these widely confusing error messages instead. Yeah, there you basically you just take what you just wrote when you get a compiler and you think, okay, something has to be wrong in these lines that I just wrote. The compiler doesn't tell me. <laughs> so let me comment them out and then comment them in one by one and see what happens. Exactly. What a great game. <laughs> Isn't that supposed to be better in uh, what Swift 5.3 though? I believe they have a proposal that they recently passed or some work that they're doing to make I'm on, error diagnosis much better. Or so something. I am, I'm on the latest Xcode beta, beta and it's not better. So maybe it's better, but I still run into a lot of these cases where it just tells yeah. me, uh, it, it shows me like it points to an integer and says, says this should be float. Um, but that's not the error. The error is somewhere down the line. I, uh, the um, the name of the parameter in the function is wrong, or I'm missing oh, yeah. a parameter in the function. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something they like Apple has been working on. Uh, I think there was a blog post from from Pavel Yaskovich uh, that went into like how they you know work together with SourceKit to figure out where an error is and like where like how to optimize error diagnostics. Um, but I'm not sure if that like directly applies to like better error messages in in Swift UI. Um, but you know, who knows? I'm I'm assuming that's something they're working on. Um, I hope so. Yeah. And let's I... see where like where it has us or or where where they are at when they release the next version of Swift UI. Yeah. 
in um, other news, we already mentioned it in the last episode, there will be a Contravariance live episode happening at Coco at Hamburg on the 9th of January. And um, as I said before, if you're in the vicinity of Hamburg and you're interested in seeing a live episode, join, come to Cocoheads. We will have uh, something you can win for the audience. So there will be prizes or there will be a prize um, and it will probably be interactive in a way. We don't want to mention anything more yet. So um, trying to make a, keep, make a bit of suspense here. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Like it's just after I'm back from holidays and then I can immediately jump in with a live episode. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to it. Okay. Um this was a really cool episode. Thanks Donny for joining and for a lot of interesting uh topics and talks. Um thanks for listening. Any last words from Donny? Well, thank you for having me, of course. And uh, just one project that I wanted to mention before we leave uh, is that uh, I will be opening pre-orders for a new mini book that I'm doing, which is really just all the Advent of Swift stuff bundled. And um, yeah, so pre-orders will be open on December 20th for that. And I hope to ship that before Christmas. It will be all the articles that I wrote, plus sample code, some sample apps that uses all the stuff that I wrote about. So if you like Advent of Swift, get that, pre-order it. I'll have some links up on my website and my Twitter. That, that's really awesome. Yeah, that sounds really cool. You should support that because writing one article a day is crazy. So um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also the pricing will be really good. Um, it's going to be a pay what you want with a minimum of $1.99. So. Nice. Well, that's that's an instant buy. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.